Greetings, FCBC Walnut family and friends. As we enter into a new month of worshiping online, I'm grateful that God has supplied us with this opportunity to be able to hear His Word preached, to be able to sing His praises together out loud, and also to be able to pray for one another's burdens and requests, as well as for the church and the community. It's not to be taken for granted, because God is of supreme worth and is the greatest treasure to His people. Before we share a few announcements into today, I want to connect us back to something he has been doing in our midst since the start of the school year, which is memorizing the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. We're actually almost at the end now. In fact, next month will be our final passage, verses 11 through 12. And technically, it is part of the same Beatitude, including today's verse, chapter 5, verse 10. So today, we're going to go ahead and listen and reflect on verse 10 this beatitude, and then have it be something that I pray will drive you through this crisis as we continue to depend on God and also as we continue to trust in Him during difficulties and hardships which we're bound to encounter according to this beatitude. Jesus said this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute. Persecuted? For doing what is good? And right and pleasing to God? What is that all about? That doesn't seem fitting. I mean, it's one thing if you were to pursue something in your life as a personal discipline in which then you are walking with God and you are living this out in faith every day. But it's another thing to say that there's going to be opposition towards you and there's going to be hardship and difficulty towards you in the effort of doing it. Isn't it already hard enough to strive to please God? with kingdom values? Well, Jesus has set us up for this in this way. Jesus has taught that lasting joy comes from being sons and daughters of God, kingdom citizens who are spiritually poor and mourning of their sin, who are meek and desiring righteousness in their actions. They are merciful and pure in heart and also peacemakers in the world who are salt and light, pointing people to God's glory. It doesn't mention anything at all about how there'd be opposition until now, but you can kind of imagine how that would be the case. Especially right now as the church is scattered, pursuing righteousness and living out kingdom values happens in our homes and also happens in our groups and in the workplaces where we continue to meet and gather. And Jesus is saying that just by simply living for him, you'd be inviting hardship and persecution in these important relationships. Pastor Brian Croft from Practical Shepherding listed a few issues that pastors should be looking out for in their members and congregations as people start emerging from the lockdown. Marriage issues, domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, child abuse, major financial trouble, severe anxiety, and paralyzing fear. Just to name a few. It's already hard enough to pursue God in our homes and as a church when we are scattered, but imagine if there's opposition coming at you simply from doing what is right and good, especially from those that are nearest and dearest to you. Well, this is where we do need to trust God that you are blessed when you're still wanting to do what is right and what is good and what is loving and what is kind to love God and to love neighbor, beginning with those nearest to you. 
However, this is where we then recognize that we need God's help and we definitely need the support of the church family through all of this. This is where I now want to connect you to our announcements for today. Number one, our Wednesday night prayer meetings are still ongoing and they're more important now than ever, especially in light of today's beatitude. In our prayer meetings, which happen for the youth at 6.30 and also for the English at 8.30, we do a few things. One is we sing together. We praise God together with our lips and our mics muted so that we remember who God is and what he calls us to do. Secondly, we give praise and we give thanks for all that he's doing in our lives already. It's so easy for us to forget God when we don't take the time to count our blessings. And so we do this. Third, we hear a short devotion from God's word to be reminded of kingdom priorities and what it means to make disciples through this crisis. And then finally, we pray together. We pray personally. We pray for each other, for our church, for our community. And we continue to do so as a church family. So please join us. This is so important as we continue to carry on. May we lean on God together. Now, the relief team is continuing also to serve our church, even as we are now branching out even more into the community with our supplies. So if you have any needs, if you want to give donations of PPE and other things, if you have people that you know of that can be helped through the relief team, please email at relief at fcbcwalnut.org. If you want to give financially to support us, you can donate to our offering and then designate Compassion Fund. We are continuing to also make ourselves available to the community in new and fresh ways, including how the Red Cross Blood Drive will be stationed right in the MAC on May 27th from 1 to 7 p.m. If you're able to give, please sign up using the link that is in your digital bulletin. And please consider how, if you are healthy, you're able to bless others by this simple gift of blood. Finally, we are still collecting for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which goes to support the ministries and the people that are disciple makers in this country that are supported by the North American Mission Board. So please continue to pray. And if you want to give, designate Annie Armstrong in your offering. Please join me now as we pray together to receive the preaching of God's word with soft hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for reminding us, Father, that doing what is pleasing to you is not always the easiest. In fact, during a time of crisis, especially, it can invite opposition and persecution. So we ask you, Lord, to anchor us to your promises, to remind us, Lord, that truly it is a blessing to walk and journey with you in following Jesus, especially through uncertainty and turbulence. Help us, Lord, to await for Christ's return when the kingdom will be consummated and complete. And help us, Father, until then, continue to follow Jesus with all of our might, with all of our heart, with all of our power, because of the power that is given to us in the Holy Spirit. We also want to pray, Father, for our church, as we are all in the midst of a world that is slowly reopening and strategizing, considering how to do that well. May you give us wisdom. May you give us discernment. May you help us to put a team and a task force together to address this specifically. And may you also bring together all of us and our gifts and talents and what you have provided for us in order to 
serve and build up the body for the greater good and to be able to channel all of these gifts towards your glory in our church, in our homes, and in our community. Finally, God, we pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, God, for our neighbors, especially during this COVID-19 crisis, as we see people hurting, as we see people losing loved ones and getting sick. Father, as we see healthcare workers and frontline workers just braving every single day to be faithful in their jobs, to help people, and to be able to do their best to make a difference. We want to pray, Father, in the meantime, that you would help us all, God, to be people that are dependent upon you in prayer, that are living out your teaching and your word, and also being intentional about reaching one another in our church family, God, so that we're able to experience your love, but also bear each other's burdens. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, that in this online platform, we're still able to meet with you. And we ask, God, and we long, Lord, for the day. And we long also for the wisdom and the timing, Lord, to be able to return when we could be a church gathered once again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Today we wrap up and conclude our Sermon on the Mount series from, from Matthew chapter 7. And I've entitled our message today, Our Firm Foundation in the Final Storm. Our Firm Foundation in the Final Storm. Today we're going to see that the wise in Christ build our lives on the foundation of Jesus' words. Otherwise, we will not stand when the final storm comes. So let me be clear that when Jesus talks about building our, our, our house on a foundation of a rock, in this particular passage, the rock is talking about his words, his teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, and by extension, the word of God. Many would like to say the rock of, of, is Christ, and that is true in the sense that the rock is the word of Christ that contains the gospel that points to us towards Christ himself. And I want to be clear that the storm we're going to see is not talking so much about the trials of life, but when Jesus talks about the storm that's going to come and it's going to beat down the house that's built on the foundation of sand, he's talking about the final Judgment. I want you to see that today. But before we get to our passage, I want to show you the parallel between Psalm 1 and most of Matthew chapter 7. You see, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching through the genre of wisdom literature. It's eschatological and it's prophetic, all in one. He's speaking forward prophetically. He's speaking about the end times, the kingdom of heaven versus the eternal judgment, the final judgment. And, and he's speaking with hyperbole and imagery and illustrations as if it was poetic like a psalm in many places in the Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to see, especially in Matthew 7, Psalm 1 talks about two paths to walk, to walk not in the counsel of the wicked, to not walk in the path of the wicked, but the righteous delight in the law of the Lord. And so there's two paths. But we saw that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. There's a narrow gate and a narrow way. There's a wide gate and a wide path. So you have two paths to walk. The path of the righteous versus the path of the wicked. In Psalm 1, you have this illustration of if you meditate on the law of the Lord, you will be like a tree firmly planted in streams of water. 
Right? So there's a tree that bears fruit in its season. In the same way, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses the illustration of fruit-bearing trees to contrast the righteous versus the wicked. So you see the same illustration and the same object, the righteous versus the wicked, as trees that bear different types of fruit. And then in Psalm chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, you see this reference to the final judgment, where it describes the wicked are compared to chaff that will not stand in the judgment and they will perish. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about the final judgment when he warns of the final day where he will separate false prophets and false Christians from true believers and true Christians. And that's in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, what we looked at last week. Now we get to today's passage. And in today's passage, if you go back to Psalm 1, verse 3, once again, there is this illustration of a firm foundation of God's word. Only in Psalm 1, the psalmist talks about the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, meditating on the law of the Lord, you'll be firmly planted in streams of water. That's a firm foundation. That's a firm foundation. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, Jesus says those who hear, so rather than meditating on the law, those who hear and do his words, what he's teaching, and by extension, everything that is contained in the New Testament that's about him, and the Old Testament that he fulfills, and then he himself, which points to the gospel, right? but whoever hears and does his words will have a firm foundation, will be like a house built on a rock. So you can see how Psalm 1 becomes this interpretive grid for all of the Sermon on the Mount. So I think it's fitting that we come back to that as an introduction. And what this shows us is something very important that I'm going to get back to in the application. As when we apply Jesus' words, we're no longer applying law, right versus wrong. Jesus fulfills the law. Instead, we are to live with wisdom. And wisdom flows out of knowing a person, namely God. And wisdom flows out of what God has done in us, what he's doing in us, and it flows out of our character, out of our virtue. Okay, so wisdom flows out of virtue. That's where we're going to go. But what Jesus is doing in our passage today is he's leaning on the wisdom tradition of the Old Testament, and he's using metaphors that are poetic, right? And so you can see in Matthew 7, 24 to 29, when Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, they'll be like a foolish man. He's comparing the wise man versus the foolish man. The wise person versus the foolish person in regard to how they respond to his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And that leads us to our passage. So if you have God's word, please take it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, where we see Jesus give us this comparison of the wise and foolish builder. The wise builder versus the foolish builder. Let me read you the passage. First, verses 24 to 25. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Okay, and I'm going to show you that the, that the rains, the floods, and the wind beating upon the house is talking about the final judgment and not the trials of life. 
I'm going to show you that as we go into our passage, okay? But now you look at the contrast, the foolish builder in verses 26 and 27. Now let me read that to you. Jesus says, in contrast to the wise builder, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Great was the fall because it is the final storm. So first, the wise builder builds his or her life upon the foundation of God's word. This is very clear. Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, that's the foundation, his teaching. Not only does the wise person hear, but when it says he does the word, that means he applies the teachings. He strives to trust and to obey the words of Christ. The foolish person, in contrast, ignores the words of Jesus and refuses to do them. And you can think of this as building on any other word, building on any other foundation, false religion, the philosophies of this world, your own thinking, your own good works. Any other foundation will not stand when the final judgment comes. Any other foundation will be like sand. Building a house on sand may be scenic temporarily, but Every builder knows, everyone with common sense knows that you do not build a house on the sand. The waves will wash it away, let alone, the, let alone could you imagine the, a violent rain storm or the winds. Sand is not a stable foundation, it is a weak foundation, and sand will be washed away easily, and everyone understands this. Easy illustration. But this parabolic metaphor is drawn from the imagery of the Old Testament. We already mentioned Psalm 1 of the foundation of Psalm 1 saying that those who meditate on the law of the Lord will be like a tree firmly planted in streams of water. So once again, Matthew chapter 7, it talks about this idea. And this is beautiful because when you talk about a tree blooming and a tree bearing fruit, you're talking about a tree that flourishes. And the psalmist says in Psalm 1 that whatever he does, he will prosper in the sense that whatever he does according to the law of the Lord, he will prosper even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trial, even in, in the judgment, he will prosper. Right. So you're talking about flourishing in the midst of trial and hard times. That's Psalm 1. But now you're talking about Matthew chapter 7 and the final judgment, and there's only one person who flourished in judgment. Only one person who flourished, and, 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 and this person is Jesus Christ. On the cross, Christ was bearing the wrath of God. He was bearing our judgment for our sin. Yet in that moment, it was his finest moment of redemption. He was flourishing. He was flourishing even though he was dying. Why? Because in his death and in his suffering, he was accomplishing the redemptive plan of God. He was glorifying his father, even though his father could not bear to look upon the sin. He was in obedience to God. He was trusting God. And we know that three days later, or on the third day, he rose from the dead, and he had victory over sin, over death, over everything that, that has marred God's creation, and all glory goes to Christ. And Jesus is the only one that flourishes in the midst of, the, of God's judgment. But if we are in Christ, if we are firmly planted in Christ, and now in Matthew 7, not Psalm 1, in the words of Christ, and in the person of Christ, and the words of Christ tell us about the work and the person of Christ. And if we firmly build our foundation on Christ, 
we too will flourish in the judgment, not because of our own ability, but because we are in union with Christ. That is wonderful and beautiful and powerful at the same time. But secondly, Matthew chapter 7 talks about the storms of life. And and uh, I mean, it's not about the storms of life. It's talking about storms that are coming. And I want to be clear, this is not talking about the trials of life. We're talking about the context of false prophets. Remember this, that earlier in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warned about the final judgment for false prophets. And last week we saw, by extension, false Christians as well. Right? Anyone who would build on any other foundation but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to see the same context and I want you to see this in Ezekiel 13. Ezekiel 13, verses 10, the first part of verse 10, and then verse 13 to 14. I just want to capture the few verses that help you understand this. Ezekiel, just like Jesus and Matthew, Ezekiel is talking about judgment for false prophets. Okay, Judgment that's going to come upon false prophets for deceiving the people of God. Okay, And, and so let me read you, Ezekiel 13, verse 10, the first part of it, and I want you to see some similarities. Ezekiel says, as a warning and condemnation, verse 10, precisely because they have misled my people. Okay, and then, and then Ezekiel goes on to say what they are saying, peace when there is no peace, because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it. I'm not going to go into that, but, but it's giving you the content. I want you to jump down to verse 13 which I put on the, on the PowerPoint for you. Verse 13, I want you to see the, the condemnation, the similarities between where Jesus, what Jesus is saying. Therefore, because you've, you've, you've misled my people, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath. So the wrath of God compared to a stormy wind, and there shall be a deluge of rain. The rain will come, the storm will come in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash, the hypocrisy, the, the falsehood, the duplicity, and break it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. Matthew 7 talks about a strong foundation, a firm foundation, versus a false and faulty and weak foundation. The false prophets will have their foundations broken, laid bare, before all to see the judgment of God will pour out upon these false prophets. And then it says, when it falls, Ezekiel says, you shall perish in the midst of it. You will not stand. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, th there is a striking similarity between the condemnation that Ezekiel proclaims upon the false prophets and what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7. There, it is a strikingly similar. Rain, floods, winds, symbolizing the final judgment. And I believe that's where Jesus is going. Jesus is drawing from, from the prophetic teaching from Ezekiel and saying, any other foundation will be exposed. Any other false foundation will not stand on the day of final judgment. The only foundation will be, that will stand is those who build our lives Build your lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ, his word, his teaching, right? And so, so that's what we see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Now, in, in Matthew 7, 28 to 29, we see a new authority. 
Right? So first we saw this contrast between a wise builder and a foolish builder, but now we see a new authority. And so let me read you how Matthew wraps up or provides a postscript for, for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Right? And so Matthew says in Matthew 7, verses 28-29, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, why were the crowds astonished? Why were the crowds astonished? They were shocked because Jesus spoke with greater authority, more than their scribes. And the scribes and Pharisees were their Jewish religious leaders. Now, you would be shocked too. Why? Because just listen to what I just explained to you, right? Just, just look at what Jesus just said. He's speaking not like a teacher. Not even like a prophet. He's speaking as if he's God. And you and I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, who else can go around saying, look, whoever hears my words, you're going you're gonna to stand in the final judgment. Right? And, and the, Jewish, the Jewish leaders listening, the Jewish crowds, they understood Ezekiel. They were familiar with Psalm 1. They understand the, the, the words of judgment as well. And so they're listening to them. They're like, who are you, Jesus? Who else can say, whoever does these words of mine will be saved, and whoever doesn't do these words of mine, the wrath that Ezekiel talked about is going to come upon you. Who else can speak with such authority? And so that's what Matthew means. This is a new authority. This is an authority that's greater than Moses. Right? This is an authority that shocked them. It astonished them. You see, when, when Matthew mentions the scribes, this is strategic because there's the Pharisees and the scribes in the conservative party of the religious leaders of Israel. But the scribes, what they did was they copied the law and they interpreted the law, so did the Pharisees. But the scribes built their faith on the interpretation of the law of Moses. And we call that rabbinic interpretation. So they're actually building their religious system on the interpretation, on man's interpretation of God's law. Now, to a certain degree, that's like preaching a sermon and interpreting the sermon, but we still point back to the Word of God as our authority. You see, the religious leaders in Jesus' day had, had moved so far away from the law of Moses that now there was interpretation upon interpretation upon interpretation, and they were twisting the law of Moses for their own selfish motives and their own selfish gain. And the law of Moses represented the highest authority because God gave his law through Moses. And Jesus doesn't say, notice what Jesus, Jesus doesn't say. Okay? And this is what is shocking. Jesus doesn't say, obey the law of Moses. Now, he doesn't say, don't obey the law of Moses, because we know that earlier in Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the true and better prophet. Jesus is the true and better Moses, a new Moses, a second Moses that fulfills the law of Moses. He is the true prophet that fulfills all of the Old Testament prophecies. And Moses told us about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, and I put that on the screen for you. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses said 
to his people. He said, I will raise up, saying, this is, the, this is the word of God. God will raise up for them, right? So I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers and Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I my, myself will require it of him. Require it, meaning God will hold everyone accountable to the words of this prophet that Moses spoke of. A, a prophet that's like Moses, but better than Moses. A true and better Moses. And that's Jesus. There's no other prophet in the Old Testament. Not Moses. Not, not a king like David. No one else that has this type of authority. This is Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus came to fulfill the law. That's why he can speak this way. He speaks this way, not because he's, he's negating the law. He speaks this way because he's the one that makes the law possible for you and I to obey. We obey the law and we achieve the requirements of the law by trusting in Christ. And we understand that, that, that they are shocked that Jesus is not a mere man. He's not a mere prophet. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the Redeemer, our Redeemer, the Son of God. And His words make a firm foundation on the day of judgment because He Himself is the judge. His words will carry us through judgment. He will carry us through judgment because He bore our judgment for us. So here's the big idea. The big idea of our passage today as we wrap up the, the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll give you some application in a moment, but the big idea is while the foolish ignore Christ, the wise build upon the foundation of his saving word. The foolish hear the words of Christ, and, and they're like, oh, that's just another religious prophet. That's just another religion. That's just the Christians saying something about Jesus, or that's just some religious tradition, or that's not true at all, or Jesus doesn't exist. Or who is he, right? But the wise build upon the foundation of his word as salvific, as saving, as his words are a matter of salvation, eternal salvation. So while the foolish ignore Christ, the wise build upon the foundation of his saving word. And that's what Matthew is teaching in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. Now I want to give you some application. Our, our Sermon on the Mount series is wrapping up, and I want to give you some application of the entire Sermon on the Mount. The, how do you apply this? First, the Sermon on the Mount points us, as we mentioned, to the wisdom of Christ. The Sermon on the Mount, with all its blessed are statements, and talking about the life of flourishing, the Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, and with all its hyperboles and metaphors of free, fruitful trees, pathways, storms, and with all the hard sayings, it gives us a complete picture of biblical wisdom. Now, why is this so important? Because oftentimes when you find yourself in the, at the point of decision-making where it's not a matter of what's sinful and what's right, you have to use wisdom. So there are things in life where you and I, we understand what's right and wrong. Okay, Everyone, we can't lie about it. We understand what's sinful and what's not sinful. And, and if you're not a Christian, you understand that, that you know, earning what is 
earning, earning your wages is the right thing to do, but stealing is dishonest and wrong. You understand that? And if someone steals from you or they violate you, you feel that that's wrong. There's a moral right and wrong. There's a compass, a moral compass is built into every human being by means of being created in the image of God. But here's the difference. A lot of times, especially when you're in crisis like this COVID-19 crisis, or, or if you have to make a hard decision, oftentimes you're like, okay, there's two decisions to make. I don't know. Which one do I make? Do I tell this person? Or, or will they be offended? I know I need to tell them. How do I tell them? How much do I tell them? Right? Or do I ask someone else to tell them that they're wrong? So, so when you're talking about decision making, or you have to make hard decisions where it's not a matter of what's right or wrong, you don't have the Bible giving you direct instructions. I know we're not talking about dating, but something as simple as dating in the Bible. Now, the Bible talks about marriage. The Bible doesn't give you hard, clear principles about dating. You have to take the principles of marriage and apply them backwards. You have to take the principles of purity. But when you're talking about dating and who to date, right, or something like that, or, or do you take this job or not, this is not a matter of the Bible telling you what's right or wrong. The Bible instead gives you a law that judges moral right and wrong. But what happens when you have to make decisions? You need wisdom. And what's wisdom? Wisdom is based on relationships. Simple illustration. If you've been married, you know that you should never ask your wife, hey, honey, the trash can's full. Do you want me to take that out? Based on relationship and common sense, it's wise for you just to take it out. You already know. And the longer you're married, you know what your spouse desires and what they don't desire, okay? And same thing for you, you children and teenagers. You know not to ask your mom certain questions or your dad certain questions. You know not to ask your mom, Mom, is it okay if I stay out until 3 a.m.? And, and so you know, after COVID-19 passes, of course, of course they're going to say no. That's not wise, right? And so, and so there's certain things where it's based on relationship. In the same way, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he gives you wisdom. And wisdom enables and empowers you to make hard decisions in life when the law doesn't tell you. You see, but people look for the law. The Pharisees, the, the Jews of Jesus' days, they were looking for the law so they could achieve the minimal in order to get into heaven. And so there, you, you'll see throughout Matthew, they asked Jesus, Jesus, which laws matter? Which Tell us what we need to obey. And if we can check off one, two, three, if these are the ones we need to obey, if that's what gets us into heaven, then that's what we'll do. But you can see that that's doing in a works-based religion. That is doing the minimal. That is doing just so you can get into heaven. That is not doing something because of who you are, right? And what Jesus is teaching us is wisdom is built on a relationship with him. It's because of relationship that creates virtue. And that's why, secondly, the Sermon on the Mount is constantly taught talking about values, the Beatitudes, talking about values and character. And values and character isn't so much about what you do, but it's more about what you do because of who you are. Who you are generates the good works. And then you understand that this is pointing towards the gospel of Jesus Christ because no longer does the law save. It never saved, but no longer is the law the way to, to be made right with God, right? And no longer are you asking, okay, I'm doing good things because it'll save me. You're doing these good things because of who you are, because you're already saved, because you're already part of Jesus' kingdom people. So that's what we see. The Sermon on the Mount points us towards wisdom, not the law. The Sermon on the Mount points us towards 
towards an ethical lifestyle of virtue where you're not winning your salvation by doing good works, but you're doing good works because Jesus declares you good and he's making you good. And ultimately, it's because he is good. That's why we're able to do good things. And thirdly, the Sermon on the Mount is eschatological. That's a big word. The Sermon on the Mount is constantly pointing us towards the end times. That's why Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. You will enter the kingdom of heaven versus final judgment. You will not stand on the day of judgment. You will not stand on that final day, right, if you don't obey or hear his words. And so the Sermon on the Mount is telling us, obey the sermon, listen to the sermon, because there's these end time warnings. And, and so that's the third thing. And fourth, the Sermon on the Mount finally points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, what makes God good is not that he sits in heaven showering blessings on us or pouring out wrath and judgment. What makes God ultimately good is his essence, but how he shows that to us is that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to show us the life of flourishing that we truly long for, but we're blind to We don't know how to get that life of flourishing that we want. And he shows us Jesus who suffers and flourishes. No one wants to suffer. Jesus suffered for us. No one wants to face death. Jesus faces death for us. And because of that, Matthew's gospel is headed to a place where Jesus is going to the cross, where he will flourish like we mentioned in the face of suffering and death, and he will rise, and he is our risen king. And so if you didn't get anything from the Sermon on the Mount series, and if you're not yet a Christian, or if you're not sure about your faith, the most important thing is this. Trust your life over to Jesus. Confess that you're a sinner. Repent, meaning turn to him and tell the Lord, Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again, but I know belief is just belief. I, I want to surrender my entire life to you. I, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need you to be my God and my Lord. Will you Will you live in me and will you change my heart each and every day so that I can become the person who lives with the kingdom values because the king lives within me, right? And so if that's you, I do want you to take some time to, to ask the Lord to, to, uh, to change you and to save you. And so once again, if you're watching this on Facebook Premiere or even if you're just, you know, watching this on our YouTube link, feel free to, to put a Facebook message to message us, to put a comment, or or, or to, to email our church. You know, you can go to our church website, fcbcwalnut.org. There's a list of emails on the pastor's page. Email us if you want to receive Christ and you don't know what to do. And we'd love to take you through what it means to become a Christ follower. Beloved, will you pray with me? And I'm going to lead us in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.